0: All right, next up on Fox & Client, thanks so much to our next guest, Christian Bernard, um, an education policy analyst at the Reason Foundation and writer for Young Voices. Christian, thanks so much for uh, for giving us the time. Very excited to have you on. I know we have a little bit of a uh, run around, but now that things are calmed down, now we can get back to the craziness of the real world, right?
1: Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a plan. Said uh, post-Thanksgiving doomsday policy talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the thing that everybody likes uh, likes with the leftovers,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Christian, Daniel Daniel DiMartino, our last uh, guest on our show, um, you know, hooked us up and, you know, send me some of your information. And I think this is definitely relevant right now in our, um, basically in our overall situation in our country with the presidential election and all that. Um, the mm-hmm. Education Department released first, for the first time ever data showing the earnings of recent college graduates and the average student debt by college and major. What did you find in that data? And overall, what do you think was the, you know, um, Uh, Do you want to break down that data a little bit?
1: Yeah. So what I'll say is the college scorecards uh, were actually originally created under Obama back in 2015. So they have been around, but prior to this new college, kind of new and improved college scorecard, it just had institutional-level data. So average earnings uh, right out of college and then average debt. So what this data does is, well, firstly, it moves further by giving you data on in, by individual major. So now you can not only see by institution what average first-year earnings and average um, debt loads are, uh, but you can also see, okay, what did, you know, in uh, English composition major, uh, what was their average debt, debt load out of um, American University, um, and what was their first-year earnings. Um, the new scorecard also now has data on, non-degree-granting institutions, so I think, I think it's about a little more than 2,000 uh, new institutions are on the scorecard. Uh, so, yeah, now what, what's great about this is that it gives students a little bit more useful data. When they look at an institution, they now can see, okay, depending on the major that I choose, uh, the costs and benefits are going to change. And we all kind of knew that intuitively But what's useful is to see kind of as it breaks down by institution, um, whether, you know, say it makes more sense to go study uh, English at Harvard or engineering at, you know, a state school or something like that uh, or the reverse of that. Um, So that's helpful for students now because, you know, before you make a decision to take out, you know, massive amounts in uh, loans or just significant amounts in loans, you can – kind of make a more informed decision based on um, institutional ma- major level data. So it's a good development for sure.
0: Absolutely. Now, the one uh, negative that I did see and um, kind of wanted to get your take <laughs> on it was in the scorecard, um, basically, it doesn't show all the data like you were saying on all of the programs, but basically, yeah. after, after only showing the first year of earnings, how do mm-hmm. kind of students who are making these decisions in their families, you know, on where they're going to go to college? How do they feel like, okay, you know, first year out of college, I'm expected to make with this, you know, English, you know, lit uh, uh, degree. I'm expected to make $38,000 of my first year. How do they, you know, forecast it three years, five years, ten years down the line? Or is that something like you're hoping to get into a field where you're going to be able to see growth? Or how do they kind of see beyond just that first year or anything?
1: Right. Yeah. So, what they would have to do is go outside of the scorecard. I mean, there is data on, like, long-run earnings for various majors. Um, That's helpful, um, but obviously, you can't compare the long-run earnings, you know, for – that's not always going to be the same long-run earnings for, you know, comparing a student who, um, say, went to a state school in New York, um, like an engineering major there, compared to an engineering major from – Harvard, or Yale, or something like that. So they would have to go outside of the scorecard to get that. So that is a major setback of the college scorecard data that it only has first-year earnings because, I mean, over time, there are some majors where their long-run compensation actually kind of catches up. So, for instance, in college, I was a philosophy major. If you look at first-year earnings for philosophy majors, it's not impressive. But when you look at you know, long-run earnings, like say 10 years into the labor force for philosophy majors, you see that they actually pass up a lot of other – they're actually almost in line sometimes business majors, depending on the data set you're looking at. Uh, And they're actually, I think, higher than uh, psych majors and um, other humanities degrees. So um, that's a setback. You wouldn't see something like that just looking at the college scorecard in the first-year earnings. But the fact is that a lot of this information is available – um, just broad information about major. Um, and so it's, it's important that students not just rely on the scorecard. I mean, another problem, like you mentioned, is that um, at a lot of institutions, if, like let's say the departments for a certain degree are really small, that won't be included in the federal data set. So I think it only includes something like 20% of all institutional level majors because a lot of those departments are really small, and if they publish that data, it would actually cause some privacy concerns. Um, so that's another setback. You might not even find the program you're interested in when looking at the new college scorecard information.
0: Now, say someone was listening, um, you know, listening right now, and they had, a, they had, a, you know, a child that's looking to go to college, you know, looking around at whatever it may be. I know a lot of the things that people see kind of uh, with a lot of universities is, you know, what they, what they see as kind of crumbling institutions, not so much crumbling to the ground, but, you know, a lot of things are being, you know, torn apart and things that we're used to seeing on college campuses were not so much anymore. If you're, you know, if you were to, you know, tell a parent, hey, here's where you find these scorecards and here's what you can get from these scorecards, like where do they even get them for the Department of Education? Are these, like, somewhere on, like, the government's website? Or, you know, if you were a parent looking for your, you know, child, where would you go and how would you approach it?
1: Yeah, if I were a parent, I mean, just so first of all, the scorecard is on the U.S. Department of Education website. Um, oh, cool. I don't know off the top of my head, you know what, you know, sub-links you have to hit to get there. Oh, but but yeah, um, yeah, I did. I oh, well, yeah, it, but if you I, I needed, in, I needed to know. Go to the second page, third drop down, and <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, and then type. You know, this is how you turn on your computer. now. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that if I were a parent. Um, a lot of this hinges on what, how much, do you, how well do you know your kid? You know, when you're looking at institutional averages, for instance, even by major, um, it's not really fair to stop your assessment of, okay, is this a good path here? So, like, one problem with the scorecards is, like, when you look at, um, like, you actually, and I don't know now how much if this has been improved, but, um you can't really look at maybe how those, um, earnings and debt loads, uh, vary based on, um, your, like say race or family education or something like that. So there's a lot of other factors you have to think about, like as a parent, when you think about, okay, how likely is my kid to have success um, with this major or even a certification right now that you have non-degree granting institutions, you can look at, okay, how are these certifications paying off? So, I mean, it's important that you don't lump your kid in with the average of, say, all, you know, engineering students at American University. Um, and so that that's a, a big factor that um, parents, it's a great starting point and, um but it's definitely not the last conversation you should have if you're helping your child select a university or select a post-secondary option and select a pathway. Absolutely. And I think it's something that,
0: uh, like, scorecards like this, I wish they were kind of around, you know, I'm not going to say good my day, but, you know, when I sat down at <laughs> my high school, you know, guidance counselor, say, 12, 13 years ago, we didn't have any type of scorecards or anything like that. Basically, mm-hmm. it was, hey, what do you like to do? I like to write. Okay, great. Right. Cool. you are the schools that um, have good writing programs. Yeah. Go home and talk about it with your family and let me know on Monday. Um But right. something like this was, um, you know, kind of available when I was, you know, picking out colleges or looking to pick out colleges. Now, when it comes to this data, else um, so that I wanted to, you know, touch with you on, what do you think that, you know, needs to be done to, like, higher education when it comes to, I know something that you went to touch on was, like, um, federally provided loans um, are kind right. of dragging people down. I know for, you know, uh, you know personal experience, I still have federal loans uh, from going to school. Um, What do do you think needs to be done with, um, you know, that portion of the education system when it comes
1: to the government providing loans to people that may or may not be able to afford them? Right. So that's, you know, another big piece of this. Providing the information is great, right? But like I said earlier, a lot of this information has been around at least in recent years, Um, not, of course, institutional and major level data, but, like, Generally, you knew if you were studying computer science, you were probably going to be better off in your first couple of years, at least in the labor force, than somebody who studied theater, right? But I think the bigger problem that's pushing kids or, I mean, making kids so that they're taking out a a lot of debt, you know, for degrees and skills that really aren't paying off to them once they graduate um, is the way that... Uh, financial aid is given. So, I mean, the high-level way I view this is that, um, like, like a well, big takeaway from the scorecard data, when you look at institutions and you look at the median debt load by major, they're pretty steady. So, at American University, you know, you're looking at between, I think, it's 22 and 27 or so thousand dollars in average student loan debt when you graduate. Now, when you look at their first year earnings based on major, it can be as like lower than around 20000 to as high as mid 50000 in average first year earnings by major. To me, that is a huge disconnect. Why are you basically paying the same amount, you know, for education that pays off um, in dramatically different ways based on the pathway you pursue? Um, so I think that you know, the federally provided student loans, which are 93% of all the outstanding student loans are owned by the federal government. Wow.
0: Is, um, that, is, is, that, is that true? Out of student loan yep. debt,
1: like the number that you keep
0: seeing rising, 93% of that is federally owned student debt?
1: Yeah. So when people what? talk about private lending for higher education, you're talking about a very rare thing. Uh, it used to be much more common, but as the federal government, I mean, basically the the idea was years ago, the federal government would say, well, we can boost access to higher education by providing the loans ourselves, right? And providing them at lower interest rates. Um, to me, the fundamental problem is the loan terms don't vary uh, very much at all, depending on again the institution you're going to, right? So if you're going to, um, I mean, of course, that you need to pay for it, um, that'll vary. But um, it, it's basically just financial aid that students can use, and then it's up to them to make something valuable or not out of it. Um, there's, and there's really not a lot of market signals pushing them, I think, in a better direction. So um, I think that a great alternative to kind of your standard student loan system is to move towards what are called income sharing agreements. So this is a way where rather than students taking out traditional loans to finance their college education, uh, basically you'll get investors, whether they be private or government investors, paying for your college education in exchange for some percentage of your future income, let's say over the next 10 years. So you're, Student loan repayment, you know, now people have their monthly amounts, whether it be $200 a month or $600 a month or something in between. Um, You're looking at, okay, let's say like 12% of my income, of my annual income over the next 10 years. Now students looking at that are like, well, okay, so first of all, I know that I'm not going to be massively in debt. Whatever I'm making, some fixed percentage of that is going to pay off my financial aid. But the people who are then, then financing the colleges, they're going to be looking a lot more, um, I guess, scrupulously at what is the payoff of these different pathways? Because 10% of an income, you know, let's say, let's say for the English lit major, the average income is $40,000. You know, that's kind of low, but over the next 10 years. And that's, that's a lousy investment you know what I mean, compared to, say, a computer science degree. Uh, And they can also look at it by institution. Like, say, you look at Trump University. You have data on Trump University and (laughs) what the debt loads compared to earnings were. You as an investor would never, ever pay for a kid to go through, you know, Trump University. So I think that's 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 someone that just went window shopping. Right. Exactly. So I mean, I think that that is kind of a a broad reform that should happen um, to the lending system in general. Um, And yeah, I think, I mean, the federally provided loans are generally lower interest than what the private sector would provide. And so it's cheap lending, you know, and it's causing a massive misallocation of resources, I think, to degrees that are often institutions that are way too expensive and degrees that are often not very valuable. Absolutely. Now, shifting
0: toward kind of more of what's going on right now when it comes to student debt, and we have many candidates on the left that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, if you look at all of them, I don't know if, all, if one has not said that they want to forgive student debt. I know in your op-ed piece that you had uh, several months ago in USA Today, which I definitely mm-hmm. want to touch on, um, you mentioned that Bernie Sanders plan was going to be added, would call for, which is wiping out student loan debt and then providing tuition-free four-year colleges, I believe, was a $2.2 trillion um, expense over 10 years. Elizabeth Warren said yeah. $1.5 trillion over 10. Can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about, like, this whole student student debt forgiveness mm-hmm. program that, that are being pitched on the left, how these hurt our, you know, country, and, you know, basically, mm-hmm. is it something that we can even get to even if one of these people is elected? Right.
1: So I mean, when you're just talking about debt cancellation, you we have I think right now one point six trillion in outstanding student loan debt. That's a lot of money to forgive, right That's a lot of taxpayer dollars that were lent um, that are now basically just being wiped away. Um, so first of all, that's just a, a base term, as far as what's fair to taxpayers, that's you know one major objection to canceling one point six trillion in student loan debt is the fact that it was financed um, by taxpayers. Now, the other thing is that when you're talking about, okay, how do we push universities in a direction where they're controlling costs, right? To cancel all the, you know, all the tuition that was paid for them through debt, is a green light for them to keep ratcheting up tuition prices, right? If they know that the government is basically going to b- bail out, you know, an entire generation, right? The so it's basically going to be telling people, people that you, you can go do your thing and we'll pay for it, right? I mean, and this is, I mean, the the absurdity of you know universities using you know tuition dollars to build lazy rivers or football stadiums or. um bowling alleys i mean there's a whole number of, or just just pay a lot of administrators right a lot of increases in college spending have been on administrators so i mean i think that if you just cancel off student loan debt that's a green light for them to keep i think engaging in super super wasteful um practices um so i mean my approach to this whole thing is how do we make college more affordable Right. And I think that, I mean, people think, okay, just subsidize tuition more. But you have to ask the question why has tuition rates grown, you know, three or four times uh, over the last couple decades? And I think the reason for that is because, from a lot of reasons, I mean, more students are going to college now. So you have more demand and actually a pretty stable supply. There aren't a lot of colleges than there were I think, a few decades ago. Um, but then also, just again, it's kind of wasteful spending. Um, th- those are things that you need to attenuate, I think, and that's the root of the problem for why college is so expensive. Um, I would obviously not prefer for, you know, massive student loan cancellation. Um, the other part of it is a lot of the outstanding student loan debt is held by people who actually have uh, – are pretty well off now. So they are well into debt, but – a a disproportionate amount of that debt is carried by, you know, the top um, quartile of the income distribution. Um, Is that that
0: like on like the, you know, where you would be talking about lawyers, doctors, engineers, things like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a lot of people um, who are now doctors and lawyers and people with, you know, MBAs um, because the borrowing for those programs is actually pretty generous. Um, and so a disproportionate amount of the debt is held by people who have those advanced degrees. So when you talk, I mean, in my view, you know, if the government is going to come in and, um, give money, right. To people, it should be based on need. Right. And sure. People are deeply in debt. I don't deny that at all. Um, but if you're giving out money to people who are actually making six figures or high double figures, uh, or high, high, you know, quintuple figures, um, Excuse me. Um, then you're really actually giving a lot of that money out to wealthy individuals compared to how much you're giving to people who really are in debt and have no um, labor market, you know, more marketable skills for the labor market.
0: Now, when it comes to um, developing the skills, like, needed to succeed in the labor force, where are colleges? failing um, their students, even the ones that get, you know, four-year degrees and however many, you know, however long they take them, where could students, I mean, where could uh, colleges and universities and even trade schools be better helping out people for real-life situations, you know, in the labor force and, you know, whatever it may be, other than what they're going to learn in textbooks?
1: I mean, I just think we need a lot of innovation on this front. You know, um, I think that to some degree the whole idea that, you know, a university pathway is a fixed amount of time is one thing that's frustrating. Let's say you're you're a competent writer or you're a competent um, software developer or something, and you basically have all the requisite skills to do well in the labor force after a couple semesters. You should be able to get a degree after that. That's called competency-based certification. So, like, that's just one, you know, signal, right, where if you allow people to just have – access to these certifications um, where they can now show an employer, hey, I know how to code or I know how to use this graphic design software or something like that, and they trust that as much or probably a lot more than a normal college degree, then you're now starting to see, you know, uh, a a world where students aren't spending as much kind of wasteful time um, in classrooms. I think the other thing is we have these cultural pressures that say everybody needs to go to a four-year college and get a bachelor's degree, uh, and the reason for those cultural pressures is because there is a huge payoff to get a bachelor's degree. I mean, I think average um, earnings over their lifetimes, when you compare, you know, people with just a high school degree and people with a bachelor's degree, people with bachelor's degrees over their lifetime make about two million dollars more. Well, wow. that's a lot of money. But I think the reason for that is because. It's. I mean, again, college. A college degree is seen as the only. A four-year degree is seen as the only signal that you are uh, prepared for the modern labor force, and it just doesn't have to be that way. Um, so I think that you know vocational schools um, need to be a much bigger uh, part of the equation. Um, I think that vocational training at even the high school level should become um, more of the norm. Right. So, say, high school's entering into maybe a relationship with local employers, you know, where they can send some of their students um, to that employer to learn, you know, on-the-job skills, like say like at a, in a manufacturing plant or something like that. And they can come out of that with a tangible degree. Um, though people who are able to do those pathways, as rare as they are in the United States today, often fare really well when you compare them to, say, you know, somebody with a humanities degree from a really expensive college because they don't have any debt, and they actually have a labor market skill that the market still needs. The market still needs a lot of these hard-skill jobs. There's a lot that needs to be done. Continuing here with Christian Bernard, uh, education policy
0: uh, analyst at the Reason Foundation, writer for Young Voices, Um You've been hooking us up with some awesome information, Christian, um, about the latest information released in the Education Department. Um, what I wanted to jump into next was your personal story and kind of connection to this uh, when it mm-hmm. comes to um, student loan forgiveness. you know, the things that mainly uh, Bernie Sanders and Liz Warren are, uh, you know, big pieces of their platform. Um, you wrote a piece in the USA Today that, that was uh, titled, I worked as a janitor to keep my student loans low. Wiping debt punishes students like me. What, you know, kind of how, what was your journey like? you know um I, I you know I read all about it. you, ended up at Messiah College of Pennsylvania you know mm-hmm. you know, tell us a little bit about your story and you know how it relates to this whole student loan you know forgiveness yeah, uh,
1: so I mean, I wrote the piece kind of from the perspective I think of a typical student. I don't think my story is any way in extreme. you know, I grew up in a kind of a lower middle class family uh we had some some money saved for college, but Um, most of it, you know, if we're going to, if I was going to go to an expensive college, a lot of it was going to have to be paid for by loans. Um, so the first strategy was to, you know, obviously do well in high school so you can qualify for more merit-based financial aid. But the other crucial part of that is applying to a, a range of universities, so state schools and private schools in different states and see which ones offer the most competitive, um, financial aid packages, um, so I did settle on Messiah College, first of all, because they gave me a, a very generous uh, tuition scholarship. It was um, close to full tuition scholarship. And uh, the other part of it was that Messiah actually accepted uh, advanced placement credit uh, towards your degree. And because I had a, a, a number of those from high school, I realized that I could actually graduate early and save even more money. Um and so, I mean, like the basic rationale behind this was that I just wanted to graduate with minimal debt, and everybody wants to do that. Um, so, when I got out, I graduated roughly five thousand dollars in student loan debt. Now, during the time I was in college, I, you know, I overloaded my credits so I could graduate a year early. Uh, like, like the USA Today piece headline says, I did work as a janitor. Um, I, I also worked as a tutor. I uh, worked in our Messiah's Career and Professional Development Center, just anything to make some extra money on the side. Absolutely. Um, And so my story is not really extreme. You know, I think there's a lot of students who are much worse off when it comes to debt by no fault of their own, something that you know, I I definitely had a lot of advantages that a lot of other students don't have. Um, But there also are a lot of students that simply don't make any of these decisions at all. They don't make, they don't choose their university based on, you know, cost, much at all, they uh, they they kind of take their time. A lot of people graduate after five or six years. Um, and then a lot of people will go on to get master's or advanced degrees just because they feel like they want to, but maybe not for a really concrete reason. Um, and so when you talk about wiping student loan debt, I think what you're doing is you're more or less um, giving people a pass for – making really costly decisions, but you're also – you're not giving out any money to, first of all, the many people who didn't go to college at all because they thought it cost too much. And to – you know, I was just talking to a good family friend the other day. She went to um, a community college for the first two years and then transferred to uh, a state school for her her last two, got her bachelor's, graduated with no debt at all. Wow. You know, she did that because she wanted – to minimize, you know, the financial burden uh, that college, you know, for many people imposes, and it people who made those kind of decisions, I they can't help but feel a little bit stiff. Now, obviously, there's definitely a problem, you know, when the like the financial aid system is as broken as it is, um, you have this problem where students, uh, the, even when they do everything they can, they still have massive amounts in debt. And I don't, I, I'm not, you know, shaking my head at them or um, trying to demand or trying to say that they could have done something better. But I am saying there's a lot of people who made serious sacrifices to avoid um, going seriously into debt. I mean, I, I knew somebody who went to college, did a, a similar thing with her community college, and then went to a state school. She worked her whole way through. She had a parent in prison. Um, you know, she had no support, you know, as far as out-of-pocket um, um, supports to pay for college. So there's a lot of people, I think, that are stiffed by, you know, a massive loan forgiveness program. Um, and it, it really is something that needs to be explored, you know, because, and think about all the people who didn't go to college again, like I said earlier, just because they thought it was too cost prohibitive. They would have gone had they known that they were going to be bailed out. You know, so I think it's really just a poor, it's really poor targeting when you just forgive all financial Uh, All uh, student loan debt. Um, There are definitely conversations to be had about uh, people who are in extreme situations being able to get out of debt so they're not under that cloud for their whole life. Um, But um, the, you know, Mm -hmm. across the board, loan forgiveness is not even close to being the right policy solution to fix those problems.
0: Now, I think, you know, you did it with kind of, you know, taking your time and and going through and seeing which is going to be the most cost-effective way to go to college and which degree program. Mm -hmm. I think the way you did it was, was, you know, the way more people should do it. For myself, I actually, you know, went the community college route. Then I went the four-year university route and didn't like either. And the reason Mm -hmm. I – not that I didn't like either – once I was, um, I was going to a four-year sport business, I was in a four-year sports business program, and I started seeing how much debt I was racking up. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is, you know, I'm not going to be in a career field where I'm going to be able to pay this off, you know, in a decent mm-hmm. amount of time, not until I'm 60. So I ended up dropping out of the four-year school, and I went to a TV, film, and broadcasting school for a little under a year, mm-hmm. and here I am. So I know awesome. that a lot of, you know, like same situation as yourself. No, I, I know I had a lot of advantages. Well, not just so much advantages. I know I had a lot of things fall my way. It doesn't happen for a lot of people. But when it comes to, like, trade schools and things like myself, like, you know, I wanted to get into radio, so I went to basically a radio school. Do you think there's mm-hmm. going to be more of an uptick in these, like, vocational and certificate programs? Because it seems like with a lot of, you know, things, for example, media and radio and television, there are specific schools for that that cost a hell, a hell of a lot less. Um, you know, yeah. a portion of what a semester would cost at the university I was going to go to. Um, do you think there's going to be more of an uptick in those or should there be more? I feel like there should be more, you know, when it comes to like the presidential candidates, those people kind of pushing that as, you know, an um, yeah. hey, we're just going to forgive all of the debt. Do you think we're going to yeah. see more of an uptick in those vocational programs or, you know, where do you see that?
1: I hope so. I really hope so. And I really appreciate you sharing your story because that is a fantastic example. Um, Obviously, you know, you, I'm sure you learned by experience too. Like you said, you still have student loan debt and, um, you know, good luck paying it off. Uh, Wish the best to you on that. But I think um, absolutely Uh, people, um, these alternative programs are a must in the future. When you look at how much, you know, your traditional four-year, private and public universities are, I think, wasting, right? The students barely go to class. Um, Employers say they're not ready for the labor force even after the exorbitant amount of money they spent. I mean, gosh, I can't imagine a better climate uh, to see an uptick in these, you know, vocational training programs. Um, And if students can secure financing in the same way you know, in the future that they can for normal four-year degrees. I don't see any reason why we wouldn't let we wouldn't see a thousand flowers bloom to that extent. Uh, my friends who argue for cutting all you know government aid to um, traditional universities—that's kind of their uh, chief argument—is that if you actually um, basically open up the market for people to offer an education that's affordable and effective, you would see, like you're saying, an uptick in uh, one-year programs, coding boot camps, yeah, a, a media training. That, that's, that's a really cool um, story. So I, I really do hope that that is um, part of the equation moving forward and that we just develop more and more ways to streamline this education so that people aren't massively in debt and they're prepared to work um, in today's labor force. Absolutely. Well, Christian, this was a pleasure.
0: Where can people find all, find all your work?
1: Yeah, so um, you can go to uh, Young Voices, um, I think it's young-voices.com. You can see my media page there. You can also go to Reason Foundation and find me as in, in their efforts index. You can also find me on Twitter at barnard 33 um, Yeah, those are the major platforms where you can see my work. Awesome. Well,
0: Christian, we really appreciate the time. You really... Uh... Gave me a lot to, you know, a uh, lot to chew on and definitely our audience, something that uh, hopefully that they're going to be able to, you know, take in and kind of digest all of these big numbers, you know, the way you can in mm-hmm. language terms. But thanks so much for your time. And, um, you know, welcome back anytime on Fox and time.